the big talking point of Formula One this year has been Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari future, and now we know. Ferrari has confirmed that it and Vettel will part company at the end of the year, bringing together a partnership that that promised so much and uh, barring something special once the season starts this year, has ultimately not delivered the world championship. Uh, As always on the Gary Anderson F1 show, Gary Anderson is here, the star of the show. Uh, I'm Ed Straw and obviously we're going to delve into Sebastian Vettel uh, in in some depth. I mean, just in general terms, it's always quite fun when you get these big driver announcements. It wasn't a complete blindside, but... Just in general terms, it's, it's great when you have these things happening, isn't it? Well, it does, you know, open things up, opens up the play as to where others go now. You People talk a lot about it, but um, once it happens, then the, the other guys have got to uh, get on with it. You know, it'd be very easy to get left um, with, uh, you know, musical chairs without you know, nothing to sit in at the minute. So it's, it's quite interesting to see how this will all change because it's obviously a top team that has um, made the decisions so that's that's not like a midfield team where, you know, okay, someone will come in probably with a bit of money or a reasonable amount of talent. But this is a top team. This is a team that wants to win championships and win races. Yeah, and when there's a championship uh, winning team, championship challenging team with a vacancy, you bet that the uh, the city season will be in uh, in full swing. We'll get on to all those topics in a minute. Uh, as always, we have got an opening question because we like to get the listeners involved. We're getting plenty of uh, questions from you. And today our question comes from Gary Honey on Twitter, who says, post-budget cap, do you see the possibility of a new F1 entrant doing a Jordan in their first season? Thank you. So fifth in the Constructors' Championship first season? Um, I think it'd be pretty difficult to be honest. You know, we were fifth in the, in the championship in 1991, but a long way away from the front. And today's cars are just so technical. I mean, you need, need such a big operation to run them. It just uh, becomes nigh on impossible for a small team. You got to set your expectations correctly. Um, and you wouldn't really say that you could be in the top five for sure for, in your first season for, uh, at all. You need a huge amount of money. You need time to get the structure built up, get all the people working together. Um, but, you know, for a new team to come in and challenge, even at the you know the back of the midfield, would be a fantastic achievement these days. So if you could finish, you know, seventh or eighth in the championship, um, you, you would have done a very good job. Because those guys at the back, even though we look at Williams with their problems and the fact that they haven't performed correctly, you know, they're not slow. They're actually quite quick. So the relative thing is get in there, set your expectations correctly, get what you can out of it and try and be consistent, learn about it, build a structure and uh, plan for the future. Yeah, even the bad F1 teams, so to speak, are very, very good in real terms and produce a very fast car. Put the uh, put last year's Williams back in time a few years and it would have uh, it would seem pretty, pretty quick, such as the rate of progress. Well, let, let's get back on to Vettel. Are you surprised this has happened? Well, I think it's at the same sort of level as, as Nico Rosberg walking away from uh, Mercedes. Um, you know, he won the world championship and walked away from it and decided that uh, there was other things in life that needed to be done. Vettel, I don't think he's ready for that just yet. I think um, he may have to do that, walk away from it. But I think he's never been very good at handling, you know, the young kid, the young up-and-coming driver like Charles Leclerc or at um, whenever he was at Red Bull with, with Daniel Ricciardo coming in. So he maybe needed to learn a little bit about that because he was a young kid on the block coming in at one point in time and he probably upset the establishment that was his his teammate at that point in time as well. So he never really learned about that part of it at all. So, you know, he wanted to be shown by Ferrari that he was a four-time world championship that demanded, a four-time world champion that demanded the credibility of being a, a top driver for Ferrari, not just an, an also-run. Um, and he wasn't going to get that. Also, the pay cut thing, 
was hurting him a little bit, I imagine. I'm sure he's got plenty of money in the bank, so it probably wasn't the biggest thing. But he needed, I think he needed the credibility to show that he was on equal terms, at least, with Charles Leclerc, or was still the number one. Yeah, the money reflects a status, doesn't it? It's not necessarily you want uh, you want another ten million uh, in your bank account. Although I'm sure that's very very pleasant, but it comes down to a reflection of what it is. And although, from what we understand, what Ferrari offered Vettel, it wasn't an explicit number two deal. But if you're if you've got a young teammate who's asserted himself over you the year before, who's got a long term deal now in place, if you're being offered a shorter deal, that's uh, that's almost certainly going to be for a for a pay cut. It's pretty clear that you're effectively being cast as the as the lesser driver isn't it yeah i mean it isn't that he was sort of like knocking on the door last year uh, to be world champion for ferrari you know i think he finished fifth championship so it wasn't just you know a bad a bad run of points here and there now okay we're talking about the, the competition against mercedes which is obviously a pretty tough team to beat at this point in time and lewis hamilton but still you know the first thing you got to do is beat your teammate and he wasn't doing that on a regular basis. And Leclerc was definitely rising to the occasion on many occasions. So I think he proved. I think he proved that basically he doesn't handle you know a quick teammate that well. Um, still a very competent driver, and you know his record is un- unbelievable as far as his success is concerned. He has a lot to give, um, and I think for Ferrari and through the years with them, five years I think as he's driven, you know the the loss of the championship probably could be put to equal to both of them. I mean, Ferrari threw away a lot of potential points and Vettel threw away a lot of potential points. But, um, you know, sometimes you've got to go, go past that. New drivers will come. We will get the Charles Leclerc's. We will get the Daniel Ricciardo's. We'll, we'll get these young kids, George Russell, that are coming on that really deserve the opportunity. Um, and this, this occasion, you know, might just open the door for some of those guys. It did seem with Ferrari and Vettel that it never completely gelled there were periods when it worked well there were times when you thought yeah this is really a trajectory that can lead to the world championship but then it would just sort of fall apart and the mistakes would happen so why do you think that happened and and what's it like if you're in a team where that relationship isn't it's not necessarily all at war or anything but just isn't quite working neither party seems to know how to get things under control I think it's you know the eyes of the world are on a Formula One team um, or at least the people who watch Formula One and we're all guilty of of knowing probably far too much, so it's very easy to be easy to be critical of of mistakes that are made. But you know we see them firsthand. We all make mistakes every day, but nobody sees them. So their mistakes were fairly uh, full frontal. And, and in reality, some points in time, you try too hard to stop that happening. You know, you just need to let it flow. You, you know, Vettel's a talented person. You know Ferrari have got a decent car. A decent car. I'm not saying it's the quickest car by any means, but a decent car. And you know that if you pull the best out of it on a given weekend, you'll do a pretty good job. But they seem to trip up over that a little bit and 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 not really put their attention to being a, a good racing team, I suppose you might call it. You know, we always talk about what was Jordan, Force India, and now Racing Point. They're a good race team. They drag a result out of a given weekend that really and truthfully they shouldn't with the performance that they have. But they're a good race team, and on a Sunday they make the right decisions. Ferrari don't seem to do that. They seem to get all fuddled up with themselves. And um, sometimes you've got to keep a very clear head in the pit wall to make the best of a situation. And I think Ferrari were pretty bad at doing that. I always talked about the uh, Grande Casino, Italian sort of panic. Everything seems to be a bit of a panic, really. I thought Matteo Bonotti would have brought a bit more stability into that. 
but it didn't seem to happen. And I think he's cut, he's cut far too thinly. You know, he's a technical guy. He should be let get on with what he's good at and not become a manager. He needs somebody in there. And I keep saying about Stefano Domenicali, you know, that type of guy to sort of just oversee the operation, make it run. Somebody who can be away from all those nuts and bolts and the diffusers and the, and the front wings and all that stuff. You know, a bit like Adrian Newey, so you can look and think about the bit you're good at as opposed to trying to work out whether the guys have had a cheese sandwich for lunch or not. Um, so I think they're, they're cutting Matteo very, very thinly and he's not been allowed to do his job or they would have had better results out of it. So um, blame on both sides, in my opinion. When you look at it, obviously there's the you talked about the the kind of the contribution the team made there, but also in terms of Vettel, when I look at him, I see probably if the biggest weakness in Vettel is perhaps that he's not necessarily the guy that that gives the team the focal point and exudes a way of doing things out to the team because he's a little he can be a little bit emotional sometimes, and I think that emotion getting carried away with him himself plays a role in that and leads to things not just being quite as uh, firm as as they could be. So is that perhaps where his contribution isn't quite right. He's not a, a Michael Schumacher-like figure. People compare him to Schumacher because there's a nationality there and he's the, the German at Ferrari. But they're fundamentally different characters, different people, and I think they bring very, very different things to a team. Yeah, it's very true. Um, you know, for, from a driver point of view, you, I think you need, he needs to see the bigger picture more often. And I think whenever we, if you go back to him and Kimi in Singapore, um, 2018, I think it was, you know, whenever they tangled up at the start uh, 17, line. Yeah, 17, start, yeah. Tangled up at the first corner. Um, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody has to not, I mean, has to look for survival, I suppose, out of it. And Vettel should have been the man doing that. You know, it's it's one of those sort of situations where you can drive into a, a, a black tunnel and not having a clue what's down the road there and respond to the situation. But you can also try to, you know, put your lights on and see down that black tunnel. And Formula One's a bit like that, you know, at the first corner of a race, you've got to have your head around you, just, you know, you've got to have everything, eyes in the back of your head all around you to see things happening. And, you know, his emotions seemed to take him past that. He had to lead that race at that point in time because he felt that overtaking was very difficult and so on and so forth. And suddenly it wasn't there. And then the next corner, obviously, with the radiator, oil everywhere, whatever it was, he, he spun. But... He never seemed to sort of have that calm calculation. And then it was all emotional, as you say, on the radio. And, and you mix his emotion with the emotion of the Italians. And definitely you've got fireworks. So it just it always seemed to be that when he was in a bit of a squabble, he he never got out of it himself. And he, as a driver, you need to be able to get out of that squabble. You need to give yourself that width of, of vision, of clarity as to what you're going to do. Um, and... You know, you can never win a Grand Prix or any any motor race at the first corner, but you can definitely lose it. And on a lot of occasions, I don't think he saw past that that first corner. He had to do the job there and then. So let's have a look at, at what's next for Vettel. Obviously, you've been heavily involved in, in driver decisions. How would you regard Vettel as an option if you were running, say, a, a top team or a, or a midfield team that's that, that's on the up? Well, it's one of those tricky ones, isn't it? Um, you know, as a team looking at it, uh, you would have said that he would be a very good member to join a team. Now, you've got to look at the cost of that that part because obviously we're getting into situations here where we I've talked a lot in the past about this budget cap and then the drivers on top of it. 
So suddenly you have a facility here that's a very talented driver when he puts himself, applies himself to it that's on top of your budget cap. So if you're a team that's got excess money and you can buy a four-times world champion, you'll probably bring in some sponsorship with that four-times world champion to the team. Um, you'll probably find solutions to, to a fairly high wage for him, but nothing like what he's getting at Ferrari. Um, so he, he could be an asset to a team like, let's say, McLaren, like Renault. Um, I don't think that the, you know that Red Bull and, and uh, Mercedes will be on the phone to him today. But I think at McLaren or Renault, who have got pretty high expectations in reality, you know, might just see them making them an offer. But would he be right for that team? That's the difficult thing. I think they're still at the stages where they need a young and hungry driver. Because whenever you get somebody like Vettel, suddenly you have those expectations. <clears throat> I mean, whenever we had the Fisichellas or Ralph Schumacher or Rubens Barrichello, Eddie Irvine, you know, if you had a decent day and you got in the top four or five or six or whatever, you felt good about it. But you're a team like that size and you get a, a person like Sebastian Vettel, i.e. whenever Jordan got Damon Hill, you know, you end up with a situation, the pressure changes completely. And that pressure will change how the team looks at things. So I think that from my point of view, I think Renault and McLaren, I'm taking those two teams as an example of probably teams that should be, you know, um, fourth and fifth or something in the championship. That's the best opportunity to probably get. Um, but from a team point of view, that will change the pressure on that team dramatically. And they'd be better for another couple of years to work on themselves with a young driver and take away the driver pressure, just just have the car pressure to get the car sorted out and get it working. But Sylvia so Renault, you know, you take Daniel Ricciardo in, who's won Grand Prix with Red Bull. He jumps into the to the uh, the team, and in reality, you know, he, he doesn't do the job he should do, um, or could do, because the team isn't ready for a, a top-line driver. So the team needs to be very careful. For, for Vettel, it's, you know, totally the opposite. I don't think he's a good midfield driver. He shows on too many occasions he makes those errors of judgment whenever he's in a, a bit of a battle. So if I was him, I would um, stay away from a midfield team, but he doesn't have an opportunity for a top-line team anymore. I don't think Red Bull and uh, and Mercedes will be on the phone to him. And, you know, what does he do then? He, he doesn't want to go to a race meeting on a Sunday to drive around a circle and end up ninth. You know, he's not a Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi went to, to Alpha. He loves driving racing cars on a Sunday. I don't think Vettel actually does. He loves his job, but he doesn't just like driving around a circle on a Sunday afternoon. Well, he is interesting as well, Vettel, because uh, he has been critical of the way Formula One's gone in recent years as well, uh, the, the long-term direction. Obviously, we should say he had his great success, his world championships in, uh, in before the hybrid, uh, before the hybrid era. I mean, do you think he he might just be thinking it's time to call it quits, or do you think a, a driver of that caliber will want to leave F one on a higher note? Should we say? I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Ferrari this season. He's still got a chance, and probably sod to law means he'll he'll win the world championship and uh, put Ferrari in the awkward position, but. Will will a driver with that competitive drive think no? I I need to go out on a on a high and, and if he can't get himself into a Mercedes or a Red Bull, which agree seems very unlikely, do you think there'll be this kind of slow realization that maybe he has to stop, or do you think there'll be that no? I've got to get in a car and, and do the job. Um, I I think it's more sensible than saying I can get into a, a lesser car and actually win. I think he knows how important the car is. Um, he's won championships and won races whenever the, the car he drove 
was the best car in the pit lane. And it's the same for somebody like Lewis Hamilton, you know, he drives for Mercedes. Yes, he would hope that he could jump into a Red Bull and win races. He would hope he could jump into a Ferrari and, and win races. But could he jump into a you know, Toro Rosso and win races? I, I don't think so. I don't believe so. Could he help the team to be better? Probably not, because they don't have the money and the manpower and the structure to, to actually meet his, his, his requests. So I think for Vettel, you know, I, I think he's clever enough to see that if he doesn't get that opportunity in a, in a silver Mercedes or in a Red Bull, that in, in reality it's over and it's over at a reasonable level you know he retires from ferrari it's better than retiring from as i say um renault or or, or mclaren even in a, in a year's time or two years time down the road so it's one of those sort of situations i think it's clever enough to say the time's up if i can't get a top drive um and just to make sure that he just uh ends this season as strongly as possible gets his head down and as you say wouldn't it be great to see him win a bunch of races and actually at least be fighting for the championship at the end of the day? Um, because that's how things turn around on you. It's, um, it's difficult for him, I would say, but he's, he made the decision, I think, with Ferrari that, no, this, this circumstance wasn't right for him. So he's, he's aware of the situation. He's not, you know, it's not been a surprise to him or anything like that. Whereas, like, Nico Rosberg retiring from Mercedes, I think that was a, a surprise for Mercedes. Or Danny Ricciardo leaving Red Bull. That was a surprise for Red Bull. This has been a negotiation between the two of them. So they're both aware of the situation. They both need, know they need to do something. Before we move on to the, the Ferrari perspective, I guess the last thing on Vettel is he has made quite a lot of mistakes over the past couple of years. Very regular errors. I mean, I could list them off that Monza spin and rejoining. He's had the collision with Leclerc in, into Lagos. Uh, taking out Verstappen uh, with a mistake at Silverstone. That's just a name of you off the top of the head. There have been loads of them. What what do you think happens when a driver gets into that sort of situation? And what can you do from the pit wall from within the team to try and get that under control? Is it just sometimes a driver gets into a spiral and there's there's no way to, to get them out of it? Well, I think it's interesting what Nico Rosberg has been saying this week about the difference in Lewis Hamilton. Lewis has got this very wide sort of spectrum of being in a in a bit of a hustle and bustle with somebody but still being able to see it all and, and work with it all um, and I think you see some drivers through through time that are they're like magnets for an accident and other other drivers you know they're not magnets for an accident it's like your magnet north and south is opposing each other so anything comes near you you get out of the way of it whereas the other ones are just sucked in and, and they hit each other and I think Vettel is one of the ones that gets sucked in because you know he gets himself like we call it the red mist. I think he sees the red mist a bit too often. I know he drives for Ferrari, but he still shouldn't see the red mist. You know, you have to be able to control yourself at that, at that level. Now, we're talking about you know, stupid millisecond decisions here, but the good guys are good guys, you know. And Vettel is a good guy, but he's always, you know, you take even going back to Red Bull with him and Weber in Turkey, there's always been that little bit of an attraction to not accept that there's other people on the track as well. If he's racing up the front or out the front, then he's always shown that he has definitely the speed and the, and the talent. But a little bit of a hustle-bustle going on, and he definitely doesn't handle it as well as some other drivers do. So um, I think it's just pressure on himself as well. He went to Ferrari to win a world championship. Um, it didn't happen for many reasons. Um, car not good enough, engine not good enough. Um you know, driver errors, team errors, all of that just mounts up. 
but the pressure also just keeps mounting up as well. So, you know, his last season now, with a young driver coming in like Charles Leclerc and sort of doing a solid job, um, just, I think that was a nail in the coffin as such. He just needed to figure out a way to, to either have the same opportunity, equal opportunity, but the big thing is he, he, you know, he needed to tidy up those mistakes. Leclerc makes some mistakes as well, and Ferrari have made mistakes on Leclerc's car, reliability-wise, so there's errors there on both sides to, to try and tidy up. But I think for, for Vettel, it's um, five years of frustration, I suppose you might call it. Um, when it's good, it's good, but when it's bad, it's sometimes difficult just to get yourself out of it. Well, coming back to Ferrari's situation, before we get into who you'd be looking at, it's worth just looking at what the process is for a team. Obviously, you've been inside a team when the time has come to consider who to sign as a driver. Obviously, sometimes there were commercial considerations. But when you're inside a team and you know you've got to choose a new driver, what's the process like? How do you go about shortlisting people and working out who would appeal to, to you, who would fit in well? Well, normally the teams I've been, it's who's got the biggest uh, checkbook when they come in to join you, but that's not the, the uh, situation for Ferrari. Um, I think, the, you know, they'll draw up a list. They'll look deeply at the results, the consistency of results. Uh, they, they need to decide whether their belief is totally in Charles Leclerc and they need a good second driver or whether they want someone else to keep Charles honest and to be there you know, right up there on the day that um, Charles maybe suffers a problem or hasn't quite got the performance or whatever. So there's a, a big decision there to make. If I was going to go for a backup, you know, they list all the drivers that's available. And there's there's lots of them available, actually. It's quite interesting. Um, but we hear a lot about Carlos Sainz and we hear a lot about Danny Ricardo. Danny Ricardo has won races and wants to win races. So he needs to go in there with an opportunity to win races if it was him. Charles, um, Carlos Sainz hasn't won races, would be very happy to be on the podium, you know, fairly often, um, with Charles Leclerc standing beside him, probably a step higher, but, you know, so that's the level. But then, you know, they know what they've got by bringing in a young driver like Charles Leclerc and saying, okay, you're the man, get on with it. And he did a very, very good job. There's not that many young drivers out there that are available. We know Verstappen did a fantastic job, you know, when he came in as a, as a new guy. So new drivers, young drivers have definitely got that hunger. So if I was them, I'd also be considering George Russell because, you know, I know he's Mercedes contracted, but he's a young guy. He's shown his speed every time he gets an opportunity. He's shown true speed. He's, you know, a good guy, nice guy, easy going guy. He will be happy to do both. He'd be happy to learn from Charles Leclerc and back him up as best possible, take the opportunity if it comes to him, but but also accept him orders because the future would be very, very bright for him. So, you know, th there's a different level in the team and the team have got to set that. The team have got to decide what they want. And then there is, those are three examples in my book of three good candidates for different direction um, and they would be the three I'd be considering very very closely when it comes to uh, to these obviously you mentioned the fact that science would probably be happy with the elevation obviously Ricardo is is the interesting one because he does seem to be quite he is well we know he's a fairly low friction driver there are a few little problems with Verstappen but nothing massive obviously the Baku collision was the point where things did did go wrong so would you be looking at Ricardo as someone who could potentially be at a similar level to, to Leclerc and be battling with him, but for it not to, to, to 
for it not to deteriorate into being counterproductive. Do you think Ricardo is a is an unusual character in that he could do that? Um, I think if he moves now, I mean, he was at Red Bull. He won races, pole positions. You know, was the was in a pretty good position there, to be honest, and walked away from it to go to Renault. He's he's got a chance at at Renault to stay probably. Is the car going to be good enough to take him to podiums or, you know, even, well, take him to podiums, let's say, never mind winning races or, it's going to be tough. Going to Ferrari, he would be in a car that's probably going to be on the podium, a driver that's going to be on the podium from the car performance. But he, he will, he knows that this is, it would be his last stand. You know, he's no, he's, there's no more future for him. He's got the opportunity. So it needs to count. And making that count means he wants to win races and, and try to win a world champion. And if Ferrari want Leclerc to do that, then he's going to be in the wrong place. So it's a difficult one to, to for Danny Ricardo, I think, to take. I think he would be the one that would be the biggest problem, just from the fact... He would be the driver I would take if I was Ferrari, but it would have to be open house between the two drivers. Um, so for him going there, unless he's got an op- open house opportunity... I think it's wrong for him because this will be his last opportunity. Um, and he he might be better staying at Renault and trying to build it to a team that can just get the odd podium finish because that will be a better result than being at Ferrari and just being constantly beaten by your teammate. And um, we know that you know whenever Mercedes get their act together, there's two positions on the podium taken up. So Charles Leclerc could be doing a fantastic job but standing on the third the third step of the podium, which means Daniel Ricciardo wouldn't be on there. So at the end of the day, that's not counting Max Verstappen, Red Bull or, or Albon. You know, so very easy to do a very good job and end up being sixth all the time in a top team. Whereas at Renault, if he could just get the odd good result and build Renault to a team that's capable of being on the podium, I think there'd be more credibility in it for himself than to be an also-run at Ferrari. There's a couple of big names who are potentially available that you haven't mentioned in Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso. Are you just thinking not going anywhere near them because that's a recipe for, for trouble putting them with Leclerc? Um, yes, it is. I mean, taking uh, Lewis Hamilton to begin with, um, you are, as a team, you would be saying, well, Charles Leclerc's not good enough and I need the you know, six-time world champion Lewis Hamilton to come here to win the world championship for us. So that's, that's a manoeuvre against everything that they've been trying to do for the last for the last few years, I suppose. Um, they tried it with Vettel, and it didn't work. They brought in the, the ex-world champion as such, give them the opportunity the best they can. But I think they've realized that youth and hunger, obviously with talent, um, brings you results, and that's what they got in Charles Leclerc. So at the end of the day, why would you take Lewis? Why would Lewis leave Mercedes? Love to drive for Ferrari, I'm sure, but why would he? And Fernando Alonso, again, he he had the opportunity there. I mean, I watched, I did the BBC TV stuff during that period, or quite a lot of TV stuff during that period, and I was totally confused by by um, Fernando Alonso's attitude that I saw, of, you know, visual attitude, just in the garage all the time. How he sort of was there and but wasn't really there, you know the. The way he just seemed to not be interested in just testing and running and finding solutions or whatever just didn't give me a good body language. Um, I know he says that he's you know a great team motivator and stuff, but I didn't see it in him. So he's been there with Ferrari. Um, why would Ferrari have you know somebody like that back again whenever they're building up youth, hunger, 
an experience with indrivers. And that's where, you know, the, the Carlos Saints to a level would be a good bet. But for me, again, going further down the road to, um, to George Russell. Uh, and, and finally, there is the possibility Vettel won't continue in, in Formula One. He gets a lot of criticism, Vettel, but he's, he's been a positive force in Formula One, hasn't he? Not just in terms of his success, but while he's not kind of the, the mega star character that perhaps Lewis Hamilton is, he's been a, he's been a positive ambassador for Formula One, hasn't he? And, uh, and for a driver of that level of success, comes across as quite a kind of normal, well-adjusted kind of character. And I don't mean that to suggest that the world champions are maladjusted, but by definition, these superstars at this level tend to be very focused by definition unusual individuals yes i think maladjusted i think to be a world champion i suppose and go through all that you might need to be but yeah he, he is he is that um you know he, ha- he has quite a level head on his shoulders outside of the car um it's inside of the car he seems to lose that little bit but he, he is fairly objective about everything um within the car or outside of the car, and he can see the bigger picture, I believe. You know, what, he's need, what he needs to realise is, I suppose he was, you know, in his time, he was the youngest ever pole setter, youngest ever Grand Prix winner, youngest ever world champion, youngest ever second-time world champion, youngest ever third-time world champion, youngest ever fourth-time world champion. So youth is something that comes and talent comes with it, and he had it, he did it whenever he he had his opportunity. Others will do the same. So, you know, he's losing this drive, I think, because he he can't quite take in the fact of this young guy's come in and done what he's done. Same as whenever he was at at Red Bull with Ricardo. He's losing it because he couldn't quite believe that Ricardo could come into his team and win three Grand Prix, and he never got, you know, he never got on the podium, I don't think. So it's one of those sort of situations. Outside of the car, he can he can... They can take all this stuff in and, you know, they evaluate Formula One and say where, where it's doing right, doing wrong. He can talk to people. He's good. He's sociable, all that sort of stuff. But um, it's inside the car. That's where you need to be. That's where a driver needs to be. Outside of the car, it doesn't really matter. Inside of the car, you want the hunger and to win. And uh, he may have that, but he's doing it badly at the moment. And lastly, we can't quite uh, close the book on the, on the Ferrari Vettel uh, chapter at this stage because... The 2020 season is still to come. What do you think this means for for Vettel and Ferrari season, provided we do get started this year? Because it could go one of two ways, couldn't it? You could have a driver who's not really motivated so much, who's just seeing out time, but you could have a driver who's off the leash, trying to prove something. What do you think? What do you think we could see at Ferrari once the once the shooting starts this year? Well, the thing is, I think three ways it could go. One is to say somebody that's just seeing through the season and taking his money and putting it in the bank. Um, one where the car is very competitive and he's he's right up there, um, or one where basically there's a big battle between him and Leclerc because he's out to prove on every given day that he was better than the bloke you're choosing to go go on with, and that can lead to you know, fireworks, nuts and bolts and rust and everything flying everywhere. So it's going to be a big season because I've always said it's never a good time, it's never a good thing to have too much warning about all this stuff. Because at the end of the day, somebody somewhere, you know, tries to retaliate, protect themselves, show them, show up that things are different from what the the picture, the big picture is saying or the decisions are saying. So uh, it's probably one of the most interesting things for the season, to be honest. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how it unfolds um, from whenever we do, if we do get started to race somewhere. But um, 
Yeah, it'll be a definitely an inner team battle for sure because both of them will want to prove that Ferrari have made the right decision. Um, both drivers will want to prove that Ferrari made the right decision and Vettel will be trying to show his worth to the, to the last checkered flag. It's going to be a fascinating subplot and there's plenty of news to come about what Vettel and Ferrari do. So do keep an eye on the, the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads of stuff uh, going up on there. And of course, our podcast, the Gary Anderson F1 show. If you haven't already subscribed to this, please do. The Race F1 podcast, uh, bring back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. And do head to our YouTube channel as well. Uh, thanks very much, Gary Anderson. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with more from Gary. Gary. <laughs>